Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Um, Today we start a new series. I'm excited about this. It's called Finding True North. And we have got a lot of things that we're thinking about. Um, It's easy to get off track. And as we get close to five years at Movement, we want to make sure we're staying true to our vision, our mission, our values as we try to follow God's mission and his vision. And we want to make sure that those two things line up. And so we're going to be spending some time looking at that. And I want to tell you a a historical event that happened that you might not remember, you might not have heard of. Um, I was pretty young, and so it was definitely a little while ago. But in 1979, uh, a passenger jet carrying 257 people left New Zealand for a sightseeing trip to go and fly over Antarctica. Um, Unknown to the pilots, there was a minor two-degree error in the calculation for the flight plan. And this was before everything was so technologically advanced, of course. And they were two degrees, two degrees off course in their flight plan for their coordinates. And it placed the aircraft 28 miles to the east of where the pilots thought they were as they arrived at Antarctica to fly over for the people to see. They descended to a lower altitude to give the passengers a better look at the landscape. And all both of the pilots were very experienced. They had never flown this direct route before. And they had no way of knowing that two degrees off course had them in the wrong place. And they were directly in the path of Mount Erebus, an active volcano that rises from the frozen landscape to a height of more than 12,000 feet. And unfortunately, that plane crashed. And it killed everyone on board. And I I know I don't normally start off with something so serious or somber, but I couldn't help but think, man, that's so important for us to understand. It's so important for us to understand that a little bit of a calculation, just a little bit of degrees, a couple of degrees off of our course, where we're supposed to be heading, can be really, really dangerous. Um, Experts in air navigation have a rule of thumb known as the 1 in 60 rule. 1 in 60 rule. And it states that for every 1 degree a plane veers off course, it misses its target destination by 1 mile for every 60 miles you fly. And so just 1 degree can make a vast difference over time. And that means the further you travel, the further off course you get, the more dangerous you can place yourself in, the more dangerous position you can place yourself in. And at first it doesn't seem like much because after 1 foot you'll miss your target by 0.2 inches. That's not, not much, right? But it adds up. After 100 yards, you'll be off by 5.2 feet. Not a big de- deal, right? Not, you know, barely noticeable. After a mile, you'll be off by 92.2 feet. One degree starts to make a difference, doesn't it? And if you veer off course by one degree, flying around the equator, you'll land almost 500 miles off target. Big stuff, right? It, a little difference, one degree over time, will get us completely off course. And as we approach five years at Movement Church, I I want to challenge us to make sure that we are staying true to what God has called us to do. 
Um, it's so easy to just develop a sort of a, a country club mindset. I, I've never been a part of a country club, but you know the idea, the stereotype that we have out there. It's like, you know, it's for privilege and it's for people who, you know, want to be served and want special treatment. And I'm not dogging anybody who's a part of one. That's great if you want to be a part of one. But you understand the mentality, right? You understand the mindset that can get carried away. We don't want to be that in the church where it's like, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to sit and everybody's going to serve me. You know, when you're just coming and finding out, yeah, that, there's time for you to sit. But pretty quickly, once you decide, I want to be all in on the mission of Jesus, it's time to get up and serve somebody else. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Am I right? And it's time for us to make sure that we are not getting off course. We don't want to be a church that just entertains Christians. I'll be honest, I didn't pack up my family, uh, you know, and move, you know, away from all of our friends and family and loved ones to help start a church that just entertains people for a couple hours a week. That's not what the mission of Christ is all about. And, and that's not what I wanted to be a part. And I don't want to, our church to become that, and I really don't think it is, but we've got to make sure we're finding true north, right? We're staying on track. We're staying on course, we don't want to be a church that just allows us to be comfortable in a stagnant faith. We want to challenge one another, and we want to push one another to get out of our comfort zones. And here's the thing. Comfort zones can change, right? You get out of one comfort zone, and pretty quickly, the next place you are can become a what? A comfort zone. It can become a comfort zone. So we don't want to allow ourselves to be stagnant in our faith. We want to make disciples who make disciples of other people who, guess what? All right, up here they got it. Some of y'all are saying it, right? Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who. That's what we want. We want this to continue, and we want. I've seen churches that had this grand history, you know, 100 years ago, 120, 150 years ago. And over time, unfortunately, People lose that vision and that passion that those people had for starting a new church and maybe building a building and, and just reaching their community. And then a lot of times they start to honor and almost, almost worship that building. You know, have you ever been to a church just like that? Maybe it's not just stained glass, but sometimes, you know, stained glass. And some, you ever been to one of those churches that's got the stained glass window and somebody's name is in it? And if the windows got cracks in it and there's air leaking around and, you know, it's costing the church hundreds more dollars to cool or heat the building. And you say, well, we need to replace that window. I'd be like, no, it's got that person's name on it. You know, or, you know, if you go like, this is my family seat, right? My family bought this seat and nobody better sit there. I've seen that, y'all. I've seen that. I've seen people who were just rude to people who are brand new to the church and sat down. We don't want to ever be a church like that, right? We, and that's why we, like, change the chairs every week. You don't know what chair you were sitting in last week. You might think I'm sitting in the same spot, but it's probably a different chair. You can put a little mark on it, but we'll wipe it off. You know, uh, uh, rubbing alcohol can take off permanent marker maybe, you know. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm silly. I make no sense. But here's the thing. We don't want to become that sort of mindset because you know what? I bet if you could go back in time and you could talk to those people 150 years ago who gave their blood, sweat, and tears to start a new church, I guarantee you they would be furious that somebody was memorializing them because they didn't start that church to memorialize themselves. They started that church to honor Jesus. And unfortunately, over time, we can become comfortable in our faith, and it becomes more about the stuff and the building than it does about the mission. 
And we do not want to do that. It's easy to get off course in life. And a degree or two off our goal will lead us miles off target given enough time. So how do we make sure that we correct our course to be the church Jesus has called us to be? How do we make sure that we are focused on our true north? And so I want to begin this series looking at this. And the best place I think to do is to go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is the beginning of the history of the church, where the church is about to begin. And if you want to see how to be as faithful and true to being a true, godly, biblical church, then you go back to the birth of the church, right? And just before the church is born, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. And he told his apostles and he told some disciples, he said, to wait there in Jerusalem for the coming Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 1 verse 6 is where we're going to pick up. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. You can read on the screen, of course, follow along in your Bible or uh, on your app. So it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, it could be really easy to just sort of forget or, or not pay attention to the question that the apostles asked right there at the very beginning when Jesus is telling them, you know, I'm about to go and, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come and I want you to wait here in Jerusalem. And they say, so when is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, the, the apostles didn't fully understand what Jesus was all about. They had been with him for three and a half years, laying on the ground, sleeping near him, listening to his every word, you know, receiving food from his hands, seeing miracles performed, performing miracles in his name, and they still didn't get it. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-blowing. I'd have been the same way, though. I'd have been the same way. You know, you put yourself in their position. You put yourself in their perspective. They had been a culture, a people that had been victimized. Now, let's understand, a lot of their victimization started because they were rebellious against God. And that's why God would send punishment. But regardless, they had been victimized. They had been chased. And the enemy, the great enemy, wanted to make sure they're destroyed because he knew that Jesus was going to be coming through these Jewish people. So they do have a little bit of a reason for this bias. But they are thinking, they're like, all right, okay, Jesus, we hear you. So is this the time that you're going to be the big boss man and we get to be on your right hand and your left hand? We get to be the second, third, fourth, and fifth command, the, the lieutenants and all that sort of stuff. Is, it, is this when? Is this when? And I bet Jesus is kind of like, he probably had a bruise, you know? He probably had a bruise. You know, he's like, look at the marks in my hands and my feet and this one on my forehead. Because you just don't get it. You just don't get it. They, you know what? There have always been people who will miss the point. For the apostles, it was all about the restoration of power to Israel. It wasn't about the redemption of mankind. They just did not get it. Now, they would get there. They would get there, but they just didn't get it. It was all about the restoration of power of Israel, and they were not thinking about the redemption of mankind, especially those stinking, dirty, rotten Gentiles. That never crossed their mind. 
You know, when, if, if Jesus mentioned anything to them, and you know, we don't have every word that Jesus said, so he may have even said more things about this at other times that weren't recorded, but when he talked about the world, they were probably thinking, okay, Jews that are other places in the world, because really, we're the only ones that matter, right? And so they weren't even thinking about Gentiles being saved. No way. They were like, Israel, you're going to throw off the Romans. We're going to be the big kid on the block again, and Jesus is going to make sure it happens. Is this going to be the time, Jesus? It's fair to say that most believers still don't understand that Jesus was all about the redemption of mankind. We might get a little judgy-judgy about them and be like, oh, those silly apostles. (laughs) But churches are full of people that still don't understand what Jesus' mission was and is, why he came to die and be born again. They don't understand it was about the redemption of mankind and pulling us back to himself and starting his new kingdom full and whole with people's sins paid for. And here's the thing, a lot of us don't understand that, and so we are thrilled. We are absolutely, to use a good Eastern North Carolina world, we are tickled. I mean, you know, you're really happy about something. I'll teach you more words later. But we are tickled. We are thrilled that we know Jesus, and maybe our loved ones, our kids, our friends, maybe our grandparents, maybe our parents, maybe our best friend knows Jesus. But beyond that, Everybody else, you're on your own. That's sort of the attitude that a lot of people have. Not everybody, but a lot of Christians have is that, well, I'm good. The few people that I really, truly care a lot about are good. So everybody else, hopefully you find out. I'm going to do my best. I've got a bumper sticker on my car that says something about Jesus. You know, I mean, that's that's sort of the attitude. I wear a T-shirt every now and then that says my church name on it. I'm glad you wear the T-shirt. Please do. Just don't be a jerk while you do it. But, you know, but I'm glad you wear it. But that's not the end of our faith. That's not the end of what we're called to do. And here's the truth. Here's the truth that we've got to wrap our minds around. Many of us, we think, man, Jesus is coming back. We talked about this last week. These two messages go together. We talked about this. You know, we're like, I'm good. Some of my family's good, or at least they're getting good, you know. And I'm good. I want Jesus to come back. Well, not, not right now. Not, not exactly right now. I mean, you should see my calendar, Jesus. I got some, we got a cruise coming. I mean, what's one more day, Jesus? Just wait till after that cruise, you know? And, and I'm uh, tongue in cheek, but I've been the same way, and I still struggle to be the same way. There's things I want to see. I want to see my kids grow up, and, and I wrestle with that sometimes. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, Lord Jesus, come right now. But then other times I don't have that mindset. And, you know, Jesus, I want you to come back right now, right now, right now, right now. I just got a few bucket list items that I want to knock out first. And a lot of us struggle with that. And it's, it's a real struggle. We want to accomplish a few things. We want Jesus to come back. And just as he said to the apostles, you know, it's not for you to figure out the day or the time I think he would say the same thing to a lot of us believers. There are a lot of believers that spend 98% of what they might call their Christian life trying to figure out the signs of the times of when Jesus is coming back. And they're so stuck in Old Testament books trying to read through and they're reading this dude or this lady's book about it and they're trying to figure out, oh, when's Jesus come back? Stop worrying about when and just get ready. Stop worrying about when and just get ready and get other people ready. 
Because, I mean, we got to understand this, is that we are not on the planning committee. We're just on the welcoming committee, y'all. It's not for us to figure out. Jesus said, you're not going to know the day or the hour. At that point, he said even he did not know the day nor the hour. When he was walking around this earth, he didn't know. It's not for us to know. Just be ready. And if we're being honest, when we have the attitude of I've got to figure out when Jesus is coming back, if we're being truly honest, a lot of the motivation is then I can know when I need to get serious about my faith. Or then I know when I need to get serious about sharing my faith with other people. But it could be right now. There's no need to worry. All we need to do is get ready because Jesus is good enough. And so we don't need to worry about when he's returning. The apostles received power to share the gospel. Their message was repent and be baptized that day when the church began. And you can be forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit. And we're to use that same power of the Holy Spirit that they got that indwells us now, and we're to go and share the apostles' message. That's what we're called to do. When he said go, that's what he meant. Get the message, go and share it, and go and share it, and go and share it. In another account of what we call the Great Commission, you know, he said go into all the world, and just like he said there in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Everybody deserves a shot to hear, to know the gospel. It's not just to Israel. Begin there in Jerusalem. Go to Judea. Go to Samaria. Go to the ends of the earth. Our, and as we like to say here at Movement, our entire neighborhood. And guess what our neighborhood is? The entire world. It starts right next door. It starts in the seat beside you. It starts next door to your house. It goes around the corner, but it goes to the ends of the earth. And so we want to keep moving here until our neighborhood knows Jesus. And that seems like that's a big, big task, but there's a reason why that we need to live out that mission. The entire world needs to hear. Now, this next part interests me a lot. I've always thought I've got a weird sense of humor, and most of y'all have been around here more than a few minutes. You know that. Um, but in verse 9, read along with me. It says, and when he said these things, Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from, up from you into heaven will come to you the same way you saw him go into heaven. This has always been one of the funniest things, and it's easy to miss the... <laughs> And maybe I've got a weird sense of humor, but it's easy to miss the, the humor in this because, you know, Jesus is going there. He just told him, he said, go. And he's, he's rising up. You know, he's like, I don't know what it looked like. Like I've told y'all before, you know, I hope when we get to heaven that we can fly. and I'm going to flap my arms even if I don't need to. I don't know if Jesus is that childish, probably not, but you know, he just was going up, ascending into heaven, he's being taken up, and they're looking. It's, it's awe-inspiring, right? A few years ago, I went to a very, very large, about a 30,000-member church in Kentucky, and they had this big Easter pageant they called play that they did every year, and at the end of it, Jesus literally ascended up about 60 feet up through the ceiling. I mean, like, you couldn't see the wires and all the sort of stuff, and I knew it was fake, but I was like, wow, that's cool, and I was like, 
standing there just looking. So I can understand, I can relate. But can you imagine what's going on on the heavenly side of this as they're going? Jesus just said what? Go. And as he's going, he's trying to, you know, because he's frustrated. He's got the bruise on his forehead, remember? He's going up, and he's probably thinking, okay, I don't want to look. Are they still looking? Are they still, are they still looking? And he's probably asking the father, it's like, are they, are they still looking? And he's like, yep, they're still looking. They're still looking. And he's like, come on, man. Come on, I've got a robe on and everything. You know, it's time to stop looking. You know, he's going up, and he's going up, and he's like, are they still looking? Yeah. He's like, all right, you're going to have to send somebody because they're going to stand there. Look at that. That's cool. Because <laughs> they were from southern Galilee. You know, from, you know that's what it is. I mean, they're, they're, told, they're called rednecks in the Bible, basically. You know, they had this big accent. So, man, look at that. <laughs> He's flying. And they were just caught up. They were caught. And there's a point to this. I'm not just being silly for the point of being silly. Although I can't help it. It's in my DNA. But they're going, and he's like, you got to send somebody. So what does he do? He sends a couple of angels, a couple of messengers, and they're standing there. And, you know, like, they're probably getting down behind these guys. Be like, what are y'all doing? You know, they're looking at him, and they're like, look, the same way that he went up, he's going to what? So go! You know, that's my paraphrase. So he's like, so go! That's, that's why he sent those angels, because what were they doing? They were gazing, it says. Well, they were gazing there. Why stand ye here gazing? I love how the King James says that. Why stand ye here gazing? You know, you're standing there looking. And here's my point. Here's my point. Not just to be dumb. Not just to be dumb and get y'all to snicker, which, you know, that's like, get y'all to snicker. But here's the thing. We are still oftentimes doing the same thing as the church. 2,000 years later, he said, go. And we're all sitting here going. Except we don't see him going up. We're just waiting for him to come down. And that looks different. You know, I don't know many of us that are standing there like this. But our hearts and our lifestyles and everything we do points to that. We're still saying, you know, when we come to gather to church, you know, a lot of times we, you know, we might get inspired and passionate about our worship, but then it doesn't change anything. And, and the only time that we're really passionate about our faith sometimes, this, I'm, I'm speaking generally here, but the only time that we can be passionate sometimes about our faith is maybe for the hour or so that we're singing praises to God. And it's like we're just standing there just gazing. But he said what? Go. He said, go. So, yes, you worship him. Yes, you stand in awe of him. But we need to be doing it as we go. And we need to be sharing our faith. He tells him, go. They needed to be going. They got stuck for just a moment. They needed a little bit of a kick, right? And maybe we need one, too. Maybe we need to get a little bit of a kick. Unfortunately, we struggle with this issue still, and we are stuck, and we are gazing. And many times, as I said, you know, our faith consists of gathering once a week or once a month and getting emotional or not and stirred up or, or not with other believers and singing about how great Jesus is and hearing about how Jesus loves us and maybe getting a little bit convicted but forgetting about it by the time the salsa bowl is empty at the Mexican restaurant. I like Mexican food, so I'm pointing the finger at myself, too. I, I love encouragement. I do. I, you know, I, I thrive on it. I'm a human being. 
I like for people to tell me that I do a good job if I speak. You know, I put a lot of effort into it, prepared all week, and try to give my best effort for the Lord and for the people that are hearing. And I love when people say things like, that was a great message, and I appreciate it. I really do. It means a lot. It, I would be hurt if I never heard it. I'm, I'm sensitive. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> but you know what inspires me more than anything? You know, sometimes people will say, that was, I was really convicted. And the thing that inspires me more than anything is when I see people take that conviction and live it. And the thing that inspires me is when I feel that conviction and I make sure that I live it too. And so we need to take the conviction by the Holy Spirit and go and do something about it. And we sit there many times and we get inspired, we get convicted, we, we gaze and we do nothing. And we are called to gather. We're actually commanded to gather as the church. So don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we don't need to do that. We're commanded to do it. But it's not just about us. He said, go. He said, go. Jesus is coming back. And that's the essence of my eschatological viewpoint. He's coming back. Be ready. Get others ready. Don't worry about all the fine details. Just get people ready for Jesus and make sure you're ready. He said, go into all the world until the neighborhood goes. This past week, we had a horrible event happen right here in our neighborhood, literally in our neighborhood. And there's all kinds of fingers that get pointed in a situation like this. Mental health is a big thing, I know, absolutely. But I can't help but recognize that the uptick of these kinds of things has increased so much as we as a people have just utterly sort of rejected God as a culture. And people are out there looking for acceptance and hope and looking for connection. And they're looking for people that aren't going to just spit on them and call them names and, and you fill in the blank. And I don't know the story behind this young man who did this horrible thing. But I'm saying we need Jesus. And so more than ever, I mean, I, not trying to make it about me, but I'm me. And I ride my bike on that section of the trail fairly frequently. And there were people who were out there, they go out there every day and they run, they jog, they ride a bike, and some people ended up never coming home to their family again. And so I say that not to try to manipulate, but let's say, hey, let's be real, let's be honest, and let's just admit that we don't know how much time we've got. And we don't know how much time our friends and our neighbors and our family has. We don't know how many more days we've got to share the truth that Jesus loves people so much that he came and he died on the cross to pay for sins that were not his own. And he rose up from the grave so that you and I, every single person, has the opportunity to live forever. They don't have forever to hear about forever about eternity, where they're going to live it. And so if we know the good news, it's not enough to just know it and care about the few that are here under our arms, but care about those that are out there that need to know Jesus. So I ask myself, I ask you, all of us, how are you going? How are you going? We can send 
others to go and we can go. I think we must do both as believers. Not everybody can go overseas. But just don't assume that you are not one called to go overseas. <laughs> but we can send other people. We can go ourselves, but we can't just do one only. We have to do both because we're all told to go. He said, make disciples, go into all the world, right? Make disciples. So how are you going? We, we support missions here at Movement. And so when you give, you support missionary work all throughout the world. We have a few that we support all the time. We support children at Ninos to Mexico and the mission there that helps plant churches and reach children. And, and it's an amazing mission. So we give and we help do that. And so when you give, you do that as well. Um, we support missionaries in Ireland, and uh, they are spreading the gospel, and, and they are seeing people come to Jesus, and, and we're, we're thankful for that. We support different organizations as needs arise. We sent money to India uh, not too long ago when they were going through a difficult time. Uh, we, we try to do that, and we're trying to grow our mission support. We don't want to just throw some money at it. We want to build relationships with these people and come alongside them. And so we're trying to be strategic, but we are sending a lot of money every month so people can hear the gospel. But we're also going to send some people down to go to Mexico this coming summer. And, and you could be one of those people. And we're going to go and we're going to love the people down there. And, and you might not have a lot of opportunity to tell a lot of people who don't know Jesus about Jesus there, but you might. And you will have an opportunity to tell some young people that might be on the fence that have come from some horrible situations. Many of them, there were some children that were brought there at the age of six or seven years old that when they were told to go use the bathroom, once they brought them into Ninos, they went in there and they realized they'd use the bathroom on the floor beside the toilet. They'd never seen a toilet. And, and so you're telling, you're experiencing life with these young people as you serve and as you clean and as you build and you're getting to share with them another representation of Jesus. And you might be the one who plants the seed or waters the seed or who helps bring along the increase or you encourage the workers there and the missionaries there and the church planters there to keep going and sharing the gospel. But you might be somebody who can go on that trip with us. We still got room. So you need to go and you need to send and you can give money. If you can't go, you can send people to go on that trip. But here is the deal that we need to understand. We are called to go. And all of us are called to go across the backyard and talk to our neighbor. All of us are called to go uh, across the office or to reach out to people that we meet and build relationships with. Now, it's easy to feel overwhelmed, right? Are you all with me? Stick with me. We're almost done. It's easy to feel overwhelmed with this big vision, this big mission that God has laid out for us and that we're trying to carry out here at Movement Church. And you feel like, man, it's the great commission. And, I mean, how can we do it? You know, we think we can fulfill it by being a part of the crowd, you know, just by association. But, no, we're all called to what? Oh, we can do it if, if we try, if we reach out, if we care about one another. We cannot do it while doing nothing. Simply put, winning the world starts with winning one person. If the vision seems big, you just got to remember, we won't win the world unless we win one. And everyone matters. And so people will say, well, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not gifted at it. I don't know the most effective method of evangelism. I will tell you this, and I've learned this the hard way, that anything works better than nothing. Try something. Try something. If it gets you laughed at, if it gets you ridiculed, praise God, you're being more like Jesus. He said as much. 
Praise God. Just try talking to people. Let people know that there's something different about you. Learn from your mistakes and keep on going. But let me clue you in on a secret really quick. You know the best way to share your faith? Love. That's the best and greatest way. It's not the only way you do not have to open your mouth and tell the truth. But sometimes that's what love is, is telling people the truth even when they don't want to hear it. But doing it in a kind and a loving way and a firm way at times. But love people. That is the trick. If you can learn to love people even when they don't deserve it, good. That's what God did for us. That is when you'll begin to make a greater impact. So here's a few questions I want you to think about as we sort of wrap this up. Who are your four closest neighbors? If I quizzed you right now, would you be able to tell me your four closest neighbors' names? Um, yeah, he's got a face and a little bit of hair. I mean, I, I might be guilty of that too, you know. I, you know, do you know your four closest neighbors? Here's your challenge. If you don't know them, get started. Get started. If you're afraid, it's okay. We're all afraid at some point. Some people are not. Some people are like, you know, some of y'all are the golden retrievers of the personality chart, right? You're like, <laughs> hey, how you doing? How you doing? Oh, you want to play? All right, yeah. And I, I, we need to learn from you if you're not that way. But all of us are called to go. So get to know your four closest neighbors. Find out about them. Know, have them over for dinner. Uh, have them over for a cookout or a campfire. Just randomly take them a little gift card somewhere and just say, thanks for being awesome. You know, and, and just build a relationship with them. And then something that we haven't talked about in quite a while is pray for my one. Pray for your one. Um, I've been made aware of the past couple of weeks by a few different people that I didn't realize that this was a book. I didn't think that I made it up, but I just thought it was just this idea. But pray for your one. Pray for one person that you're focused on trying to win to Jesus. This is the person that you're praying for continually. You're going to try to plant seeds. You're going to try to water seeds. You're going to try to see a harvest. But then also pray for one person every day that you can share the love of Jesus with, even if it's just as simple as a smile, even if it's just as simple as a kind word. But pray for one opportunity every day, and then pray for one specific person every day for them to come to know Jesus, that you would have an encounter to show the love of Jesus. So the question we've got to wrap things up with is this, am I gazing or am I going? Am I gazing or am I going? It's time to get going. If we want to make sure that we're accomplishing the mission that Christ has called us to accomplish, we've got to find our true north and get ourselves back on course and keep going instead of simply gazing. For you, I don't know what that looks like, but I pray that today you'll stop simply gazing and start going. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.